Hello again. I do want to thank you for joining me here in Bible Studies with Russ. Uh, last week I shared a sermon, a recent sermon that I have done. It covered really the bulk of Judges chapter 2 and up to uh, about verse 9 or so, or really through verse 11 of Judges chapter 3. And so today we're going to back up to about verse 10 of Judges chapter 3 and then finish uh, Judges 3 for our time together today. Uh, we saw last time in Judges chapter 3, looking at verse 10, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered uh, the king of Mesopotamia into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rislema. So the land had rest for 40 years, and Othanel, the son of Kenaz, died. And so we find, as we ended last time, that the, as long as the judge was alive, as we pointed out back in Judges chapter 2, as long as the judge was alive, they were doing what was right. But as soon as the judge died, they rebelled yet again. And we find now in uh, verse 11 that after the land had rested 40 years and Othanel died, uh, it seems to be he died after the 40 years, because uh, it says then. Uh, there are some some who believe that Othanel actually didn't live through the entire 40 years. Uh, I don't really understand why that is since at least from this text it seems to be very clear that he did die afterwards as it says then often the son of Kenaz died but nonetheless uh, some just attribute the 40 years being that they were 40 years without war and the Othanel may have died before then because he would have lived to be about 125 years old and anyway it really um, we find that regardless that they had 40 years of rest and then this uh, Othanel the son of Kenaz died but then look at verse 12. We find the Bible says, And the children of Israel did did again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now again, verse 12. Notice again, we're going to find as you go throughout the book of Judges, you find this really is kind of on repeat, that they again did Israel did, did evil. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Every time the judge died and they enjoyed this time of, of rest after they had been delivered by the judge whom the Lord was with, as we saw earlier back in, in verse 10, right? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. But now verse 12, they, the Israel did, again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you notice there again, which points out that obviously this was not the first time, and they are returning to this way of doing evil. And what was what were they doing that was evil? Uh, really going back into uh, idolatry. But find there in verse twelve, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, I, I like when I find this phrase because it makes it very clear, and it's a good reminder for all of us that even we think something is okay, that something is not a big deal. If it's as the verse twelve says here, if it's evil in the sight of the Lord, then it's evil. If God says it's sin. It's sin. You know, our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, our own personal, well, I believes, it doesn't matter. Because if it's evil inside the Lord, then it's sin, and sin will separate us from God. He goes on to say here in verse 12, so the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel. And then here we find again why. He tells us what, what they had done, verse 12, uh, first part of verse 12. He tells us, as a result of what they were doing, that he has strengthened this king. And now what, what's he going to do, or why is he doing this? Again, it's reminded because it's an evil inside the Lord. So the verse 12 starts with this is what they're doing, 
And then in the middle of the verse, we find this is how the Lord responds. And then we finish his verse 12 by saying, why is he doing this? Because they did evil in the sight of the Lord. There are reasons for the things that the Lord does. There are reasons that people are punished, as we find here in the Judges, uh, why, specifically in the Judges, why people are punished. because of their It's because of their sin. Now, we have to realize today, in the time in which we live, when someone does evil, it doesn't mean the Lord is going to all of a sudden turn everybody against them and to try to drive that person back into doing what's right inside the Lord. But it doesn't mean just because a person does evil. And there's no conceivable or no, no visible reaction from God sometimes, we might say. We think, well, the Lord hasn't doesn't see, as the psalmist at times talks about how, how his enemies view, uh, would respond in such ways. You know, the Lord is not paying attention, basically paraphrasing that a little bit there. You know, but just because the Lord doesn't <laughs> strike someone with lightning doesn't mean the Lord condones their actions. doesn't mean that he's just going to wink at it and move on. No, the Lord's going to respond in his own time, even if that means on the day of judgment. Um, so we look at now verse 13. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, this is the Eglon king of Moab, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. And so we now we find what happened. The Lord has strengthened the king against them. The king goes and gets the people of Ammon and Amalek, of Amalek, and they went and they defeated Israel and took possession of the city of, the, of Palms. Why is that? Going back to verse 12, because Israel did again did evil in the sight of the Lord. We must never forget that the Lord never tolerates evil. Even if if the judgment and the wrath of God is is held until the judgment day, friends, make no mistake. No one who commits sin is going to get away with it until unless they, you know, unless they repent, there is no escape from that punishment. And we look now at verse 13. Uh, they had not turned from their ways. They had not come to their own senses. And so verse 12, he strengthened this king against them. Verse 13, the king goes and defeats Israel with Ammon and Amalek. And he took possession of the city of the Palms there in verse 13. Now, <clears throat> the city of the Palms, um, I was looking at this a moment ago, um, is a is is a general vicinity of old Jericho. Uh, that's what I was thinking of. I want to make sure I had that correct. Now look at verse fourteen. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, eighteen years. So for eighteen years, they were in servitude to the king of Moab. You think about this for a second. The Lord granted them rest for forty years. But in just after just 18, which we may say just 18, how can you say that? Well, it could have been a lot longer if you desire for it to be so. But in 18 years, after 18, you could say, as we look at verse 15, it took 18 years before the people, the verse says in verse 15, the people cried out to the Lord. It took 18 years, which I think is probably more uh, logical. It's not that the Lord just punished them and punished them and ignored them for 18 years, but it seems to be, as we look at verse uh, 15 here, 14 and 15, that more logical would be that it took 18 years for them to come to their senses. You think about that today, before we think, well, is that really true? Well, look at our own nation today. How long will it take for so many to come to their senses? Or will they ever? You know, we think about Sodom and Gomorrah. 
they never came to their senses, did they? Ellen said they were wiped out. We look at now verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, we think about how many times we find that phrase in the Bible, cried out to the Lord. This wasn't just a simple, hey, Lord, can you help us here? It was they were crying out. They were, in my mind, think of it this way. They were literally begging God to come and help them. So when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, look at verse 15. The Lord raised up the liver for them. We don't find, as we look at verse 15, that there was really any type of delay. We don't know. The text doesn't reveal the time frame between them crying out to the Lord and the Lord responding. But it seems like it was not a very long time before this king, this, this judge, whether it was raised up, this deliverer there in verse 15. <clears throat> and so we look here in verse 15. He's identified as Ehud, the son of uh, Gera, or however you want to say that, the Benjamite, a left-handed man, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon king, of Moab. Now, it's interesting to me that so many uh, in, in commentaries will spend so much time about Ehud being left-handed. Uh, one commentator pointed out that being left-handed for some uh, was viewed as a stigma, like it wasn't a good thing. Some have said that the reason he was left-handed because his right hand was uh, was injured in some way and it was bound, and so he had to be left-handed. Uh, some believe he was just simply uh, left-handed. Um, you know, the text, you know, some will, will say the Hebrew means that, you know, his his hand, his right hand was bound, and so he had to be left-handed. You know, in all reality, for the sake of our, our studies, it doesn't really matter. Is it different? Is it different from what we normally read about someone that's pointing out that he's left-handed? Well, yeah, but that's really about it. And it doesn't change the point of what's going to happen. The reason why he was left-handed, does it really matter in the scheme of what's going to, we're going to read about here? No, it does not. Um, and so, you know, I'm reminded when I read certain, sometimes some material of others that just because they spend a great deal of time on it doesn't mean it's actually all that important. I think sometimes we get bogged down in things that are not of great consequence. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but Ehud was, Ehud was the one whom would, they would send tribute to uh, Eglon, king of Moab, by way of Benjamin. Excuse me, by way of Ehud, the Benjamite. Um, it is interesting that one would, one says here concerning uh, Ehud and him being left-handed. Um, he says, in right-handed world, the left-handed enjoyed certain military advantages. Some who trained to be warriors would have their right hand bound to their, to their side throughout their youth. So they might become skilled in the use of their left hand. When the tribe of Benjamin at the time of the Civil War, uh, were, there were 600 such warriors, Judges 2016, Ehud may have been descended from one of them. In reality, that's really about all we really need to know about him being left-handed. Um, we, we go on here as we look, continue to look at this. Um, he was, as we see in verse uh, 15, he would bring, by, by him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, rather king of Moab. Look at verse 16. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Now again, uh, some have said that, well, why did he put him on his right thigh? Well, because when he came into the into the, the, into, to the king in the moment, uh, 
normally everybody's right-handed, so they would check the left. Um, I don't really believe that is the whole reason why he put it on his right thigh instead of his left thigh. If you're right-handed, you're going to you're going to pull from you're going to pull your sword from your left side, and so him being left-handed, he would pull his dagger from from the right side. You don't see any soldiers, or I haven't. Um, he would have a sword if they were right-handed would have the sword on the right side. Uh, normally speaking, what I've seen is that if they're right-handed, the sword they would be, draw the sword from the left. Uh, it would be very hard to pull it out if it's on your right hip, if you're right-handed. And so they would reach across and much more easily pull the sword on their left side. And so Ehub would fasten his dagger to his right thigh so he could more easily grab that, that dagger and pull it out. Um, and so that's what he did, we find here in verse 16. Uh, it was double-edged and a cubit in length. So roughly, remember we say a cubit is 18 inches. It normally was from the elbow to the tip of the king's uh, middle finger, and that's what a cubit was. Um, it could vary, but normally it's accepted that 18 inches was the length of a cubit. Uh, it's interesting here that he made it himself, this dagger, that it was double-edged, which in in my mind, shows a little bit of skill, uh, then great skill. I can't create a double-edged dagger. Um, but he did, and he created one that was 18 inches in length. Um, and so this took some skill, and then he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Verse 17, so he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man, verse 17. Um, it's interesting that the text points that out, and we'll see why here in a moment. Um, but you know, there is a great difference between someone being, you know, the Bible condemns gluttony and, but the Bible doesn't condemn someone being, uh, we might say just overweight. We might say sometimes carrying a few extra pounds. There's a big difference between gluttony and someone merely being overweight or, uh, even obese gluttony. Really, if you look at the definition there talks about someone really, who's just obsessed with food, um, uh, and, you know, engorging themselves every day. That would be gluttony. Um, you know, there are cases where individuals get up to, to six, seven hundred, eight hundred pounds, even more today. Well, they would be an example, sadly, of gluttony. But we find here in verse 17 um, that this man was a very fat man. Was he gluttonous? We don't know, but he was very large, uh, very, very very fat man, very probably been very round. Uh, verse 18 says, And when he had finished presenting the tribute, that is uh, Ehud, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. And so he, you notice here, Ehud uses a lot of uh, smarts here. Now, some I'm sure would say, and one commentator talks about how some uh, would question how Ehud does this, but then he doesn't really give a very good answer for that. I uh, just said he did nothing wrong, but um, which he doesn't. You have to remember, if you go back to, um, let's see here, it is verse, uh, uh, I lost my place. Verse 15, the Ehud was what? The Bible says the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. It was delivered. Well, it was Ehud. What well, was one way that you deliver the people? You would, you would, free, you would uh, rid them of their oppressor. Well, their oppressor was who? It was Eglon, king of Moab. And so, 
you really can't say, in, I think logically, that he did anything wrong here. Uh, some would say, you know, well, he said he gave, you know, he told me he had a secret. What is he doing? He's trying to assassinate the man. Uh, you, you could kind of be sly and kind of have tongue in cheek and say, well, the secret was, oh, by the way, you're about to, your your reign is coming to an end. That's the secret that he didn't know. Um, but he was raised up as deliverer to deliver the people from Eglon, king of Moab, and that's exactly what he does. Look now at verse uh, 19. But he himself turned back, this is Ehud, from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. And so he tells the king he has a secret message for him, which in reality, I'm going to think of it this way, the secret message is your reign is coming to an end. Did the king know that? No. Um, that's really about how I view that anyway. But again, remember, he was a deliverer from God. And so this is what he's going to do here in verse uh, 19 following. Now, as we look here, um, uh, in verse 19, uh, he tells his king he has a secret message for him. And the king says, keep silence. I mean, the king tells him to be quiet. And then the king says here, and all who attended him went out from him. And so, uh, the king responds, you know, by sending everyone away. It appears, though, there in verse 19. Some have said that it was Ehud who sent sent these individuals away. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, from my reading here, it looks like the king sent them away. Uh, Ehud tells him, I have a secret message for you, a king. He said, keep silence, and all who attended him went out from him. Um, it really doesn't matter either way whether Ehud did it or the king did, but all who were there attending him went, went out. And so now it's just Ehud and the king, which would been very, really many times, very unusual to have just two people there, just have one person there talking to the king alone, and for the, for, for the very reason of security, really. In verse 20, so Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So now here's his secret message. What's the message? Your reign is over, basically. Um, I think that's what we can we can gain from this. So he arose from his seat, verse 20. Then Ehud reached with his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Uh, remember, this is 18 inches. He shoves it so far in, verse 22. The Bible says, verse 22, that even the hilt went in, went in after the blade. And the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Now, I have, some, I have heard some go on and on about what was what was it that came out. Like some translations say, uh, till the dirt came out. The idea there, he, he, he struck it, some believe, to be his um, digestive tract, maybe even his intestines, and that's what came out. It doesn't really matter. His entrails came out, which... What we find here is he killed this man, and he showed this dagger so far in that it covered the, the fat of this man, covered the, the hilt of the blade, and he left the blade in. He didn't pull it out. Um, I don't know why specifically why he wouldn't do that. Maybe he thought if he pulled it out, the king would make a make a loud noise. Maybe he just thought he couldn't pull it out. Uh, either way, he, he left it there uh, in verse 22. Bible says in verse 23, Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. So he went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him. And so he appears here behind him and locked them, verse 23. And so, again, 
this is one of those verses where some commentators will say, well, maybe he went down the shaft of, you know, uh, uh, went in the bathroom, went down the shaft, all this stuff. The Bible says he went out, he went out through the porch. I don't understand. This is just my own thinking. I read some of these things and I think, why are we going and saying all these other things when it clearly says he went out through the, went out by the way of the porch? But anyway, as you look at verse 23, the Nehud went out through the porch and shut the door to the upper room behind him and locked them. Um, did he lock it from the inside? Uh, did he take the key off the king and lock it that way? The text doesn't say, but however he did so, he, he closed the doors behind him, closed the doors up the room behind him and locked them. Um, verse 24, we had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. Some texts say there in verse uh, 24 that did that uh, he was covering his feet. That did there being that he was using the restroom, covering his feet. That did his clothing being down around his ankles. And so he, they believed, well, he's probably going to the restroom or attending his needs, right? So they didn't, you don't go in during that time. Um, verse 25 says, so, so they waited till they were embarrassed, which means they probably waited a while, right? Maybe. You know, how long? I don't know. The text doesn't say they waited long enough. They were like, this is silly. What We got to get in there and check on a king. We can't just leave him alone, right? Uh, they're in verse 25. And still he had not opened the doors of the other room. Therefore they took the key and opened them. And there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But he had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarah, verse 26. Um, we find next in verse, and so... We see here that while they're waiting, Ehud makes it away. He makes it out, right? There in verse uh, 26. Now, <clears throat> he, he goes, and Val says in verse 26, he, he passed beyond the stone images. What are the stone images a reference to? It's also referenced earlier in the chapter. Stone images is a reference to idols. Um some, and I meant to make, the mention, meant to make mention this earlier, believe that Eglon was one who served multiple gods, and that's why he was willing to listen to Ehud and bring this message from his god, because he's willing to worship or, quote-unquote, listen to any god. Well, here we find a reminder of that, as, it, as he had these stone images there that Ehud passed by on the way, on the way out in verse 26, which is just another reminder why this king uh, was so bad. He was one oppressing uh, the people. And now Ehud being the deliverer, he has what? He has taken out the king. And now we find in verse 27, it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went out, went, went down with him in the mountains and he led them. Well, what? Notice there, he is now leading them. Who is Ehud? He is acting just like the deliverer he's supposed to be. He's acting like the judge, and he is coming out, and he is delivering the people from their oppressors. Because why? He was the one who the Lord had, who the Lord had caused to be caused to become their deliverer. There, right? Verse twenty-eight. Then he said to them, "Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand." So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. So what are they doing? They're cutting them off, right? Any access. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. Why is that? Is it because of Ehud? No. 
It's because the Lord was with them. The Lord had heard their cry. The Lord had, had rose, uh, raised up Ehud as the deliverer. Ehud took out the king. And now what? Now, because the Lord is behind all this, they're able to take out 10,000 men of Moab. And notice here, all stout men of valor, which means these were not your just your little... <laughs> My wife talks about sometimes how on the TV show Star Trek, you know, the those who are red shirts would, would be the ones who died so often. Well, these were not quote unquote red shirts. These were all stout men of valor and not a man ex escaped. They took them all out. Verse 30, so Moab was, was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years, 80 years of rest. And after him was... Uh, Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men at the Philistines with the ox gold, and he also delivered Israel. Very little is known about this individual, except that he killed these men, the Philistines, and he also was a deliverer for Israel. He killed the Philistines with an ox gold, which was a sharpened weapon. Uh, uh, some say a varying in length, various types of various lengths, but it was a weapon uh, that he used to kill. Uh, the Philistines. Okay, so that brings us to the end of chapter three. We're going to stop there for a time today. Uh, Lord willing, next week when we come back in chapter four, we'll look at uh, as one commentary calls this salvation through a woman. We have to realize that when we look at the judges, the judges are the deliverer, but in all reality, are they truly the deliverer? Well, no, the Lord is. The Lord causes them to be the delivered. You know, they uh, are saved uh, by the delivered that was appointed by God. And so just something we have to keep in mind. Okay, we're going to stop there today. I do thank you for your time and for your attention. I hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. I hope to see you again next time.